You're listening to the N2K Space Network. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Last week, we were busy covering the Space Symposium in Colorado Springs, Colorado. But space knows no borders, and things are busy down here on the Blue Marble. So now we're turning our attention to the China Space Conference, which is happening this week in Hefei, Anhui Province, from April 23rd to April 26th. Today is April 24th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazas, and this is T-Minus. News from China Space Day and the China Space Conference. The United Arab Emirates space program has a busy week ahead. Blue Halo's phased array finds a buyer in the Space Force. Some takeaways from last week's Space Symposium and an interview with Matthew Bailey, Vice President of Space at SciSec, about the unique security challenges in the space industry. Stay with us. Here is your Intel briefing for today. As we mentioned at the top of the show, it's the week of the China Space Conference, this year being held in Hefei. And today, April 24th, also happens to be China's Space Day, which is a national celebration of achievements in space, marked specifically on the 24th, as that's the day the nation launched its first satellite, the Dongfang Hong-1, back in 1970. This year, China is also celebrating the 30th anniversary of its founding, the CNSA, or the China National Space Administration. Given the major anniversary this year, there have been a number of big announcements about China's recent space accomplishments, as well as upcoming space initiatives. So let's take a look at what's been reported so far. This year has already marked an increase in Chinese private sector involvement in space, with 21 commercial launches in 2023 alone. For just one example, the Hyperbola 1, the four-stage small solid launch vehicle made by iSpace of Beijing, has already completed five flights with another 10 scheduled this year. As part of the opening ceremonies for Space Day, China unveiled its first global color image map of Mars, 
assembled from over 14,000 images taken by the Moderate Resolution Imaging Camera on board the Tianwen-1 Mars orbiter. Looking ahead, China's Deep Space Exploration Lab, or DCEL, also mapped out their long-term goals. Coverage from China and Asia Spaceflight on Twitter reports that DCEL is looking beyond research stations on the moon and is considering plans for a Mars research station. DCEL and China Aerospace Science and Technology Corporation, or CASC, also said that we should see test flights of a two-stage reusable variant of the Long March 9 Super Heavy rocket by 2033. As part of the Space Day announcements, China also said that earlier this year it gave 1.5 grams of lunar soil collected with its Chang'e 5 to France after giving a similar amount to Russia last year. And speaking of the Chang'e 5, China is also working on a sample return mission for Mars using a lander based on the Chang'e 5's design, though the Mars iteration will have additional sampling capabilities through either a crawler robot or a Mars helicopter. The goal is to collect 500 grams worth of samples and then get it back to Earth. This Mars sample return will be part of China's Tianwen-3 mission with a target 2030 launch and return to Earth by July 2031. Changing focus now to Inmarsat. Inmarsat continues to work to recover services for L-band phones that have been down for nearly a week. The satellite service provider has restored maritime and aviation safety capabilities on its I-4F1 satellite over Asia-Pacific. The 18-year-old spacecraft suffered an outage on all services, except for its global satellite phone service, on April 16th after a partial loss of power. Inmarsat engineers are still investigating the root cause of the power issue. Staying in the region now, and it looks like it's going to be a record-breaking week for the United Arab Emirates space program. The UAE's Rashid rover is scheduled to land on the moon on April 25th, and later this week, the first Arab astronaut will step outside the International Space Station. So the UAE lunar rover aims to make a soft landing on board the Japanese Hakuto-R Mission 1 spacecraft. After some initial health checks, the rover is set to begin a 14-day science mission to study the moon's geology, soil, and dust, and capture images. And Emirati astronaut Sultan Al-Nayadi is expected to perform his first spacewalk to retrieve a piece of communication hardware on April 28th. Dr. Al-Nayadi arrived on the International Space Station on March 3rd for a six-month mission. Blue Halo says Space Force's Rapid Capabilities Office, or RCO, is its first customer for a new phased array antenna that the company developed for military and commercial markets. The U.S. Space Force is aiming to replace decades-old parabolic satellite dishes with electronic phased array antennas. Blue Halo won a $1.4 billion contract with the Space RCO for the Satellite Communications Augmentation Resource Program, or SCAR, in 2022. The program aims to modernize the Satellite Control Network, or SCN, of ground terminals that track U.S. military and intelligence satellites on GEO. And the U.K. is also focusing on GEO, or geostationary orbit. Their military has released a request for information solicitation for ground-based electro-optical sensor solutions capable of providing space domain awareness for U.K. space assets. The new sensor is expected to be capable of resident space object tracking and will be located at a U.K. military base in Cyprus. The Aerospace Corporation has been selected by NASA to lead a consortium to develop in-space servicing capabilities. 
The group will focus on in-space servicing, assembly and manufacturing, or ISAM, capabilities in space that can extend the life of missions or manufacturing in space. The Aerospace Corporation announced the Consortium for Space Mobility and ISAM Capabilities, dubbed COSMIC, on April 19th at the Space Symposium. NASA selected Aerospace Corporation for the role in February under its existing NASA Specialized Engineering Evaluation and Test Services contract. The next SpaceX Falcon 9 mission is scheduled for Tuesday from Vandenberg. The payload is another batch of Starlink satellites, which continue to cause issues for ground-based astronomers. SpaceX has launched over 4,000 Starlink satellites to date, and efforts to make them less bright are not yielding the results promised. The mega constellations cause issues for Earth-based observers who are likely to continue to raise alarm over interference from the LEO communication system. And speaking of SpaceX, the blowout from last week's Starship launch continues to make headlines. Aftermath images from the powerful rocket resemble a war zone with scattered debris, a crater under its launch mount, and dents in storage tanks with damage to nearby vehicles. CEO Elon Musk took to Twitter to say that SpaceX did try to design a water-cooled steel plate to go under the launch mount, but that it wasn't ready in time for last week's launch. There are also questions around missing camera equipment. AFP staff photographer Patrick Fallon says his remote system, along with some others, have gone missing after the launch. The equipment that was recovered from over 1,000 feet from the launch pad also sustained significant damage from the rocket blast. The next Starship launch attempt is expected in the next one to two months. Okay, that's our briefing for today. And hey, T-minus crew, every Monday we produce a written intelligence roundup. It's called Signals and Space. So if you happen to miss any T-minus episodes, this strategic intelligence product will get you up to speed in the fastest way possible. It's all signal, no noise. You can sign up for Signals and Space in our show notes or at space.n2k.com. Up next is a roundup of last week's Space Symposium, some key takeaways from the event to cover there. And after that is my interview with Matthew Bailey at SciSec about security challenges in the space industry and the SciSec conference in Paris later this week. Stay with us. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com cyberwire. So last week was the 38th annual Space Symposium in Colorado Springs, and our executive producer, Brandon Karp, was there. So let's get into some of the key takeaways from this year's event. 
Brandon, could you describe a little bit for me what it was like on the show floor? I mean, it's a conference and it's conferency, but tell me a little bit about it. Sure. So very obvious, the, uh, the, the three different communities of professionals from this industry, right? So you, you, you mm. have the, the military, NATSEC, you know, national security space. You know, everyone in their uniforms from Space Command, the Space Force, uh, the other joint force members, you know, saw some Navy and, uh, and Army and Marines there as well, um, as well as international military, actually a surprising number of foreign military, um, mm-hmm. everyone from Australians, you know, the Five Eyes Australians, the UK, yep. um, uh, Canada, but also other members of NATO, so quite a bit from Germany, uh, France, Italy. Um, and, and other partners uh, as well. So that was the first population, you know, representing quite, quite um, in strong numbers. Uh, the second sense, population, yeah. um, you know, obviously the commercial space, but you know, the traditional bigs, right? You're, we're talking um, the those that you would expect: Boeing's, Lockheed, Northrop, etc. Those kind of old breed space companies as the second big population, and then the, primes, the, uh, the right. The primes, exactly. Primes, the, yes. Not the, the olds, popu- the primes. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the olds, the primes. Right, yeah, sure. Um, the, the consolidated, we'll call them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and then the, this third population are these new space companies. Um, and and it's, it's very obvious that it's, you know, these three communities, you know, military space, commercial space, primes, and then new space, um, I, I actually I should mention a fourth, which is uh, which is uh, civil space, right? NASA, ESA, right. JAXA, all representing there as well. But you know they're more similar in concerns and mindset and approach to to military space as well. Even though the the goals and the objectives are different, they all come from the same federal government type world. Um, you know the biggest dichotomy I noticed was between the traditional commercial space, um, the 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 old breed, and this new industry, the, the new space, which, you know, in terms of square footage, new space was probably covering more ground in the exhibit hall, um, not mm. the largest booths, but just in terms of sheer quantity of them. So still traditionally, this environment is full of suits, right? Suits and ties. Um, and new space is bringing in a little bit of an edgier perspective, which is refreshing. It's nice to see, but it's a clash of cultures at this event. It, it was actually a, yeah. a, a really interesting um, combination, a diverse you know, uh, perspectives from all of those four different communities. Hmm. So more jeans and T-shirts and maybe with a blazer on top for business purposes, but, you know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, certainly still plenty of suits and ties, but uh, starting to transition into this um, this new brave new world of the space economy um, hmm. and, and what's happening in the new space environment. So um, in terms of the breakdown that you saw for the new space folks, what, what did you see in terms of what people were presenting? What, what do they wanted to show to the world? Um, so the, the first one I would mention is the, the workforce. That hmm. phrase was on everyone's tongue, this idea of hmm. the concerns around the workforce um, on every everything from the diversity of the workforce, the capabilities, the pipeline, you know, training, knowledge, skills, development of the workforce. You know, and most of the discussions that I heard and, and was around for um, around workforce, we're, we're talking about getting people in the door. 
Um, only a few were discussing what we do with them when, once they're in the door. And so, you know, yeah. talking about diversity <laughs> and bringing new people and new mindsets um, into these organizations, uh, only a few were discussing once they're there, how do we keep them around? How do we help them grow, help them feel welcome and, and comfortable um, and feel like they're contributing? Um, so that's the first through line that I noticed. Yeah. So aside from workforce issues, what else were you, were you hearing about. Yeah. So, um, you know, traditionally this industry is seen as kind of a hardware industry um, and, and that, that still shows up on, on the uh, exhibit floor. What we're seeing more and more is the uh, transitioning from atoms to bits. So this idea that software mm. is, is starting to really make an entry into every aspect of this industry. That's always a challenge. But also discussion of capabilities and needs within the industry, most definitely and especially on the ground segment. Uh, now these companies are really starting to think about their broader business models into commercial um, capabilities and what commercial capabilities are going to require as they look towards other industries like the financial industry, the healthcare industry, agriculture, um, you know, uh, you know, maritime shipping and transportation uh, is the requirement of having a fully integrated and effective, almost automated data plane, data and analysis plane as yeah. the ground segment. So. Starting to see a number yep. of companies. Responsive. Exactly. Yep. And, you mm -hmm. know, th those companies in other industries aren't going to have a space person on staff. What they're going to have are data yeah. analysts, marketing professionals, you know, um, you know, strategists who are looking at that data and want to use that data, but don't necessarily have the background and expertise to make sense of it without an ana analytical plane or the, 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 a way of actually getting the data into their, you know, into their insights platforms. So what I noticed was at the edge of, you know, the, by no means was this you know, huge, but I think it's going to be growing over the next year and beyond, are a number of core key companies starting to discuss that part of the industry, what they're doing for data mm. transfer, what they're doing for data security, and what they're doing for data analytics on the analytics plane of the ground segment. So getting the useful information from space systems to the end users and developing those business models. So, Brandon, anything else you want to mention about Space Symposium as a wrap-up? Yeah, well, it, it was a pleasure to be there. You know, it's a great community. It's going to grow massively in the next few years. Um, of course, we've seen great growth in the last, you know, in the last five, ten years. Um, it's only going to accelerate from here. And in a lot of ways, it reminds me of where cybersecurity was ten years ago when we were still figuring out what it means to be a cybersecurity professional what it means yeah, to grow yeah. in that industry, what it means to develop new business models and bring new technology, new capabilities, new services to market. Um, and so we're excited to be along for the ride. That is exciting. And I'm looking forward to going myself next year and I'll have to figure out if I'm going to wear a suit or jeans. We'll have to, that'll be an interesting <laughs> thing to figure yeah, out for the next yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Right, or, Brandon. <laughs> or, a, or a galaxy uh, covered uh, jacket, which I saw a few of those. Oh yeah. You know, I've got one of those in my closet. That's not even a problem. Naturally. naturally. <laughs> and naturally. All right, Brandon, thank you so much for walking me through the 38th annual Space Symposium. Pre appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Maria. Yeah. And thanks to the Space Symposium for having us. Up next is my interview with Matthew Bailey at SISEC. Stay tuned. We're not a cybersecurity podcast, no. We have friends who do a great job of that already. But the space industry faces some unique and complex security concerns. 
Thankfully, many professionals around the world working in the space industry are stepping up to meet this challenge. Hi, my name is Matthew Bailey. I'm heading the space activities at SISAC, and I'm also the executive director of SISAT, the biggest event about cybersecurity for space. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew, for joining me today. Uh, so yeah, let's let's dive into it because uh, SISAT's at the end of this month. Can you tell me a little bit about how what the conference is, maybe how it started? Of course, yes. Uh, SISAT is a conference about space cybersecurity. Cybersecurity for space is a little bit of an unknown topic. Uh, it's a very recent topic uh, for civil space missions. And uh, it is absolutely paramount that now we all realize how much we depend on satellites and space assets in general. And as a result, uh, these are very, very valuable uh, in terms of uh, physical assets like satellites, but also digital assets like data. And they need to be better protected. And to do that, we need to create an ecosystem of companies, agencies, startups, uh, researchers, uh, students. Everybody needs to be involved to to, to really be able to respond to the the challenges of operating satellites uh, in the the near future. This field has changed a lot, (laughs) especially as more uh, space assets are becoming digitized. What kind of developments maybe have you seen in the last year that you expect will be covered in this year's conference? Yes, since the very beginning of space, like defense and military missions have always been secured. Like this has always been a topic for for military uh, agencies, but not so much for commercial and civil missions. And this is really the the big change that we have seen in the in the space market in the last couple of years. And these these commercial civil missions are taking more and more importance. So you see the number of satellites that are being launched. SpaceX, Starlink is a big example, obviously, with hundreds, thousands of satellites that are put uh, into orbit. But there are lots of other companies going into the space market for really business purposes. And again, this is this is uh, linked to the data uh, and the, va- the value that these data are bringing to, to, to society and, and companies. And value attracts criminals. So we see more and more interest from criminals to target space assets, especially since that uh, space engineers have not been educated with security. This is a new topic for the industry. So we're not at the level of maturity that uh, finance or medical or other uh, sectors are uh, currently because they've been targeted for for years and decades. Space is a new thing for, for hackers, for attackers. So as well for engineers, so we need to do better. To, we need to do a better job to defend ourselves and to defend these satellites that, again, provide services that are absolutely critical to our uh, modern uh, digital life. Yeah, that's, that's so many great points in that because I've been to DefCon a few times, and I remember, you know, um, and we've talked to the folks that who do aerospace security, and it still feels like awareness of aerospace security in general in the security world is sort of nascent, uh, but it's there. And then the same thing with the space economy where awareness of security as an issue that needs to be addressed is is somewhat there, but not where it should ideally be. And it does it feel a little bit, at least to me, that people are trying to meet in the middle. So the, the folks who are going to be at this conference, are they predominantly from the space, from, I'm using space industry really broadly, are they predominantly from space industry? Are they more maybe security professionals who are trying to enter space uh, industry, or is it a mix? 
Yeah, that's that's the entire point is to bring these two industries, these two types of people together. So we need to to bring space engineers, ground segment, mission control, flight software engineers, you name it, but also project managers of space missions, uh, executives, uh, quality assurance and so on. All the space professionals, we need them to meet the security professionals. Uh, we have lots of people knowledgeable about security. Operating a satellite is not so different from operating a, another uh, critical piece of infrastructure. You have lots of cloud services. You have traditional IT servers, equipment, operating systems, lots of traditional stuff, including onboard the satellite. So it's not that much different. We just need them to talk together to to, to stop these silos and and really build the bridge where we have a place where we we, we combine these two levels of, of expertise. And that's exactly the goal of the conference is to bring these two worlds together. Excellent. And the and the, yeah, I, I especially as the space industry starts to rely more on commercialized services, uh, off the shelf services. I imagine these challenges are just going to continue to scale. Um, instead of everyone trying to do something sort of homebrew and figure it out on their own. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, that's exactly it. I, as I was mentioning, like, uh, space industry, I've been very much a security by obscurity uh, type of mindset. And this is changing because we see commercial missions relying more and more uh, on cut uh, components off the shelf, as you just mentioned. And these are uh, related to open source material, lots of public information that you can find on the internet. Which is uh, which provides both advantages and inconvenience, but uh, it, it's still we're trying to advocate for better security practices in the space industry, including uh, security by transparency. So, and again, I really feel that this is related to bringing uh, all the lessons learned from other uh, markets, financial services, all, all these guys that have been learning the hard way that they've been attacked and breached. And we have all these lessons learned that we can leverage to the space market to to be a bit more faster at at building the the defense mechanisms that are badly needed today, as we see it with the geopolitical context getting more and more uh, tense. Absolutely. Final question. What are you, I'm sure this is a hard question to answer, what are you most excited about at the conference this year? (laughs) It's the third year that we're organizing this uh, conference. And uh, the first year is in the second year also a bit. It was very much on the high-level perspective to really raise awareness about the risks, trying to show people that space assets are vulnerable, just like any other piece of IT equipment, embedded systems. And this year, what we're really trying to bring is uh, technical demonstrations of capabilities, services, products that are available today from companies uh, to be used on the operational field uh, very soon. So it's really moving away from PowerPoint to really show space engineers how they can defend their, their products and services uh, in, in the short term, because that's, that's really what is needed now. Excellent. Thank you so much for giving us the overview of SciSat, which is in Paris, April 26th and 27th. Thank you, Maria, for having me. And you can learn more about the SciSat conference at cysat.eu. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. 
Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero-trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Welcome back. And now for a different kind of launch. And in this case, the engine for these vehicles are good old glutes and quads. Over the weekend in Huntsville, Alabama, NASA's Human Exploration Rover Challenge was back and in fine form. It was the 29th year for this competition and the first time it's been held since 2019 due to what else but COVID. 500 high school and college students from around the world competed to design, develop, build, and test human-powered rovers, that could handle a mighty challenging obstacle course simulating asteroid debris, boulders, erosion ruts, crevices, and an ancient stream bed. These rovers have to be efficient, lightweight, and compact, coming in 5 by 5 by 5 feet of volume. And these rovers also have to collect samples at various course locations without any cross-contamination. Quite a challenge there. This year's first place winners are Escambia High School and University of Alabama Huntsville. And a hearty congratulations to all the competitors this year. Keep the rubber side down. And that's it for T-minus for April 24th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. And we'd love to know what you think of our podcast you can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in our show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like T-Minus are a part of the daily routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, from the Fortune 500 to many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth, mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester, with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karpf, and I'm Maria Varmazis. See you tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey to share your feedback now.